Well, hello there, and welcome to another sermon from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is March 13, 2022, and we are dealing with a message entitled, The Mystery of the Kingdom. It's from our series called, Finding Your Keys to the Kingdom of God. May God bless you as you listen. Well, I'm not too sure what formed your growing up years. Uh, For me, uh, my childhood memories were formed by reruns of the Flintstones at lunchtime and the Beverly Hillbillies at 4 o'clock, well, actually probably more like 4.35. I always came in late because I was always delivering papers at that time. But do you realize that the Flintstones aired for the first time in 1960? Any of you there for the first airing? We probably didn't even get it in Canada until probably later, 1965 or 1980. Um, Beverly Hillbillies aired for the first time in 1962, right? Uh, these shows uh, were awesome. And, but the shows that I, I think I played, I, I liked most, were the ones that showed on on Saturday mornings, that, and, you know, when I used to get up on early on Saturday mornings, and we, I would scroll through the three channels. We had, well, one was French, right? So it didn't count, except we always used to watch that. My friends and I would come over. We would watch the French channel to see if we could catch them swearing. It was just a thing, you know. We didn't know, but words sounded so weird to us. But we would scroll. I'd scroll through the channels on on Saturdays, and I don't remember which channel it was. It was probably Channel Two, and uh, we. We would watch Scooby-Doo, my sister and I. We'd watch the Hardy Boys. And, well, she really liked Nancy Drew. I didn't confess that I liked it too. But anyway, we watched these shows. And I know that they've recently been made into sort of new formats. But you just can't beat Sean Cassidy, Parker Stevenson, and Pamela Martin. Hey? I mean, just there's just no way. My first cassette was a Sean Cassidy cassette. Bought it on our way to California. My dad bought us a little cassette player about the size of a shoebox, and we would play that thing nonstop. I, don't, I think my sister got the Beach Boys or something like that, and we would, watch, or we would listen to that all the way there. So those were my childhood memories. But I really liked those kinds of shows like, like the Hardy Boys and, and Nancy Drew and Scooby-Doo because I liked the whodunits. I like the mysteries, and, and still do. I, I like puzzles, not the jigsaws. Those are kind of for old people, you know, so I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> but I, I like riddles. And I like the mysterious, and I'm in trouble. I know it, yeah. (laughs) But that's maybe why I like the mysteries of the Bible, too. And there are a lot of them, aren't there? And I'm not just talking about, like, uh, the ones of the, the, where's the Ark of the Covenant today, and is Noah's Ark still around, and all that things. Just a a hint, it's probably not around anymore, by the way. Wood doesn't last terribly long that way out in the open. But in fact, it took a lot of time for one of the biggest mysteries on the planet from the creation of the world all the way to the time of Jesus to become revealed. It's one of the biggest mysteries of the Bible. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about it significantly. But we're going to look at that mystery today. We're going to kind of unfold it slowly. Do you want to know what that mystery is? Well, I can't tell you yet. We've got to get into it first. We've got to develop it so that you can discover it for yourself and savor it. So if you've been tracking with us throughout the last month and a bit here, uh, you already know that we've been unfolding an evolving theme from Genesis uh, to Jesus, namely the kingdom of God. And right from day one, we, we, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So right from the very beginning, the Bible records that before anything else, there was God. 
He was declaring and establishing his sovereignty right in the very beginning. Yahweh's sovereignty and rule are established as the obvious facts to all of creation. And from there, we saw how God created man and woman in his image. And we learned that that image is not about certain qualities that we have that make us different from other creations on the planet. But rather, being created in the image of God is about our status as imagers of God. And and as a status, that is significantly different. But unfortunately, we also read in Genesis chapter 3 how that, that image, that status, got compromised and corrupted and contaminated at the fall. But even with that, ultimately one day God did promise to destroy the work of the serpent that tempted Eve and Adam and to reestablish our our image as co-rulers with God in creation. And then in the weeks following, we saw that God tried to reboot the kingdom rule through Noah, righteous Noah and his family, and then through Abraham, and and then through Isaac and Jacob and, and Moses and David to establish it in his kingdom rule, and then in Jesus, the son of David and the son of God. Remember, Jesus didn't have to, uh, just didn't just happen to have a perfect genealogy that lined up with all the heroes of old. God planned it that way. God was working on the long game here, and it didn't just happen, he didn't just happen to be born at the right place at the right time. Jesus was the result of God's will and plan. God the God of Abraham, the God of Adam even, the God of Noah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of David. Israel knew that King Messiah was coming. They were prepared for his arrival at some point in their future. And they knew that he would usher in this kingdom of God once and for all. So seeing as how Jesus is the point of these these covenant promises, you might think that, that he must be the answer to the mystery. Well, partly, yeah, but not all of it. When Messiah, Jesus, finally came, this is what he came to do. After his baptism, Jesus headed into a territory called Galilee, where he would centralize his ministry and his message. So turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Before we get to Mark chapter 4, let's go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says, After John was put in prison, that's John the baptizer, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And this is the good news. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so from there, he made his way to the Sea of Galilee. Verse 16 says that as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I will make you fishers of men, other translations say. At once they left their nets and they followed him. So he's, he's casting his own net larger and he kept adding followers until one day he chose 12 to be his disciples, to, to walk with him more closely. Mark chapter 3, verse, six, uh, verse 13 to 16 says... Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Not much of a mystery yet, right? 
But from here on, the gospel writers record that Jesus heals the sick, he casts out demons, and he even raises a few dead, a few dead people from time to time. But mostly, Jesus spent time teaching, teaching his disciples, teaching the crowds. Now, most people are familiar with Jesus' teachings. We have teachings like the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes. But mostly, Jesus taught by way of parables. Parables have often been thought of as a literary device known as allegory, which is a story that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning or typically a moral or political one. That's sort of true when it comes to biblical parables, Jesus' parables. But really, a parable is actually meant to obscure the real meaning from some of its audience. And there are a few layers within these parables, layers of meaning to them. So that when you read them, don't limit what you read to, the sto- to one thing that the story is trying to tell. Sometimes it's more than one thing. Most times it is. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But let's get into Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 to 12. You will be very familiar with this parable. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. And while the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that They may be ever seeing and never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. This last part is a prophetic quote, actually, from Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. And this is why Jesus' audiences sometimes had a difficult time, sometimes an impossible time, understanding and therefore interpreting what he taught in parables. So, if you think that he taught in parables way more than most other ways... The crowds missed a lot. Because according to Jesus, parables are really about concealing truths, not revealing them to certain people. Now, any compassionate person is going to feel kind of bad about this, but why would Jesus want to conceal anything about the kingdom of God? Wouldn't he want everyone to get it? Well, this is part of the mystery. Now, This is one of the more familiar parables to most Christians today, and quite likely you have a general idea about its meaning. Most of us have been taught that it's about different kinds of people and their receptivity represented by different kinds of soils to the gospel or to the word of God. 
It says, some seed fell along the path, the soil was hard packed, and the birds came along and ate it up so it did not produce any grain. Some seed fell on rocky places, the sun scorched it, the plants withered, but because it couldn't root well in shallow soil, it says they didn't produce grain. And some seed fell along thorns which grew up with them and, choked out the, and were choked out by the weeds so that they did not produce any grain. But some seed did fall on good soil and it produced a full crop, in fact, a multiplicity of crops. And so the question that often springs from this parable is, what kind of soil are you? And it's a good question. And you can get that out of the parable. But that's just one layer of meaning to this parable. There's another layer of meaning to it that many people miss upon a casual reading. Thankfully, Jesus goes to on to explain what it all means, and it's a major clue to understanding this mystery that Jesus came to reveal. Mark chapter 4, look at verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. After hearing the explanation, do you understand what he's kind of saying now? If not, maybe, maybe we just sort of need to go on to the next few parables. Because I think if you read the next three parables, you would understand, you would get it. Let me, let me give you a little bit of a secret here. Most of Jesus' parables, he's referring, he, he's prefacing with the statement that he does later in verse 26. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. The parable then is a description of what the kingdom of God is like. There's all kinds of other sort of layers that you can kind of bring out of it, but ultimately, this is the main point of Jesus' teaching. This is what the kingdom of God is like. One of the first layers of this parable is about, about people's receptivity to the word or to the gospel. But at a deeper layer, it's not about the soils. It's actually about the seed. Jesus said, some people are like seed. That's how he starts it. Some people are like seed. So the seeds are those who, as Jesus said it, hear the word of the gospel of the kingdom of God. But more to the point, Jesus is talking about here the latent potential of the seed when sown. Or the latent potential of the hearers of the word of the kingdom of God. And then what stops that seed from expanding in the world after it's sown? That's sort of where he's really going here with this. The farmer, we can assume, is the father who sows his seed lavishly out on the farm. So think of the parable this way. The seed that fell along the hard path 
had potential to produce a harvest. But it was exposed to Satan, and as a result, it was eaten up. The seed that fell on rocky places, it too had potential to produce a harvest. But it didn't deeply root itself in the gospel, and as a result, because it was shallow, it died. The seed that fell along thorns, it had the exact same potential to produce a harvest, but it was choked out because it cared too much for the things of the world and for wealth. Some seed, though, did fall on good soil. It had the same potential as all the others, but it accepted the word of the kingdom of God, and it produced a full crop, in fact, a multiplicity of crops. Essentially, friends, this parable is a warning. Jesus is talking about the latent potential of the seed and the consequences of not accepting the word of the kingdom of God. Let me give you a for instance. What is the product of an apple seed? Some of us would think a tree, an apple tree, but it's not. It's not even more apples. The latent potential of an apple seed is actually more seeds, a multiplicity of seeds, which means more seeds means more potential for a greater harvest. This is what Jesus explains in the next three parables. He says, the parable of the lamp on the stand, that, that's, that says that light is meant to shine and spread to every corner of the house. The parable of the man scattering seed, another, seed, another farming illustration, verse 26, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And then he said, seeds are meant to produce a full head of kernels, again, with the potential for a greater harvest. Then there's the parable of the mustard seed, verse 30 to 32. Let me just read this one. It says, again, Jesus said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. Insignificant, in other words, to most people. And yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches, the birds can perch in its shade. So similarly, the meaning is the latent potential of the mustard seed is to become a massive resting place for massive amounts of flocks of birds. Jesus is trying to tell his disciples, and they're a little slow to get it at first, that the kingdom of God is an ever-expanding dominion with the potential to persuade masses of people to live within its rule. But it's also a warning. See, some seeds will neglect, even reject their potential. And as a result, will remain only a single seed, and they will play no part in the harvest. But those seeds that do embrace their potential for reproduction will multiply the potential of the word of the kingdom of God to get the harvest to the ends of the earth, to expand the reach of God's field. Mark chapter 4, verse 20, like seeds sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and it produces a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. That's, that's a biblical way of saying it doesn't stop. That's similar to what Jesus says in John chapter 12, isn't it? It's not a parable because there's no parables in the gospel of John. But Jesus is speaking plainly to the disciples. And he says in John chapter 12, 24 and on, he says, I tell you the truth. 
Unless a kernel of wheat, that's a seed, right? Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And then there's a warning. Anyone who loves his life will lose it. That sounds a lot like Mark 4, 19, doesn't it? The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of, of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word. But then he continues, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must, must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Friends, the kingdom of God is not about you getting to heaven. It's about getting the gospel to the whole world so that everyone has a chance to get to heaven. And if it stops at you, there's a warning. So the first point in our message today is this. Number one, the kingdom of God is about the urgent expansion of the rule of God. The kingdom of God is about the urgent expansion of the rule of God. This parable is a warning. Most parables are, actually. And the kingdom of God is a, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom. It's not to be trifled with. It is to be taken seriously. The kingdom of God is not the magic kingdom of Disneyland where the motto is where your fantasy becomes reality. It's not the motto. No, there are no make-believe Prince Charmings and Cinderella's and no teacup rides. Good thing. There is, however, a king, isn't there? And his name is Jesus. And he is the Lion of Judah. And he's fierce. And you and I are his citizens, and that makes us servants of the king. His rule is supreme, and as his subjects, we are servants of his purposes, right? That means that our lives are not our own. And like all kingdoms, it must expand its rule across borders into various lands. We already saw today that the gospel in Poland, the church in Poland, is trying its very best to meet the needs of its surrounding countries. And we pray that the gospel gets into those other countries. War has spurred it on. But there is potential in all those Christians to get the gospel to other nations, even Russia. Like all kingdoms, the rule of God must expand its rule to other borders into other lands. And this kingdom of God is not just about land, it's also about people too. Remember a few weeks ago when we saw Yahweh tell Abraham to leave his home, his country, his gods, and move to a new land that the Lord God would give him as an eternal inheritance. This is the, this is the, the covenant, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. It's, it's repeated and added to uh, in other parts as well. The, the Lord had said to Abram, this is before he changed Abram's name to Abraham, and he says, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's that latter part that is really significant to us. 
and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So land and people was the promise. And if you remember, the Abrahamic covenant is an ongoing promise that Jesus himself was a descendant of, right? A couple weeks ago, we walked through the genealogy of Jesus. And through him, that covenant promise is still reaching out to bless all the people on this earth with the kingdom rule of God. And friend, if, if Jesus is your king, then you join Abraham and Moses and David and Jesus and the disciples and you become an ambassador of his blessed rule everywhere you go and everywhere you pray. The parables are there, and there are many, they make up the bulk of Jesus' teaching, but the parables are all about the urgent expansion of the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't messing around. It was the very first thing he did after his baptism. He got out to spread the kingdom of God. That's all Jesus talked about. That's all he taught about. And the warnings of not participating in that expansion were terrible. So hear the word of the Lord. Accept it and produce a crop. And here's the thing. That rule has to begin with you. That's our second point. Is Jesus king over your life? Is Jesus king over your life? That's what we get out of these parables. Friends, across both Testaments, old and new, the basis of salvation is and always has been believing loyalty to Yahweh. Not the law. The law never saved anyone. The old, not anyone in the Old Testament. Not the temple. Not baptism. Not church membership. The core of our salvation is has always been believing loyalty to the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and God of Gods, right? So take this afternoon or some time in the near future in this week and reread the parables of Jesus. Flip through the Gospel of Mark and, and look for the section headings like, like this one where it says the parable of, and this is the sower. You'll see that that entrance into the kingdom of God is believing loyalty to the King Jesus. So, friend, is Jesus king over your life today? Is Jesus king over your life? Because if not, like in this parable of the sower, without believing loyalty to Jesus, you will get consumed by the devil. You will get swallowed up in the seduction of the world. And you won't have time for kingdom things. And you will fail to produce a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. See, without believing loyalty to Jesus, you will not get involved in the urgent expansion of the kingdom of God. In fact, you will probably resist it and make excuses for it. And it's easy to see what your loyalty to Jesus is like. How urgent is the expansion of his kingdom for you? Are you engaged in the harvest? Are you telling people in your life network about your king as if he were your very best friend and savior? Do your prayers reflect it? Does your giving reflect it? Does your ministry reflect it? Does your outreach to your life network reflect it? Does your family, your work, your relationships reflect it? This urgency of the kingdom of God and your king. Just a reminder There are consequences to passivity. There are consequences to denying your king. 
That's why Jesus says in the next parable, the parable of the lamp, he says in verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. For sure, the crowds didn't get what Jesus was talking about in parable. Because they didn't have ears to hear, right? Because he wasn't their king. He was a celebrity. They were following his miracles and his food, his free food. But he wasn't their king. And because Jesus wasn't their king, they didn't have the same urgency that he had in the advance of the kingdom of God on earth. And because they weren't invested in him, with him, they were kept in the dark. Number three, point number three, the kingdom of God makes you part of something bigger than you. The kingdom of God makes, the kingdom of God makes you part of something bigger than you. Verse 33, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. That's interesting. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. If you're part of the inner circle with Jesus, he reveals everything to you. Don't you want to be there? So why is this important to us? Well, let me try to explain it this way. I think it's very funny how as you and I read the parables, as actually as we read any part of Scripture, I find it funny how we always tend to read ourselves into the text of the story. What I mean by that is when we read these parables, we instinctively try to find out how it relates to us personally. In our age, we assume that there is a message there for us 21st century Canadians. Why is that odd? Because you and I are not Gentiles. I mean, you and I are Gentiles, we're not Jews. We are not naturally of the seed of Abraham to whom the promises of land and offspring and, and, and inheritance were given. We are not naturally part of the inheritance of the covenant promises of Yahweh. We are not Jews. We are not, am we are not among them. Any Jews among us? I don't know. I think one person has got some Jewish blood in him, I know. We are not naturally part of the chosen people of God that we should presume to be partakers in the kingdom of God and the blessings of, that Scripture promises. So something must have happened that we should presume to be able to read ourselves into these parables and into any of the promises of Scripture. Let me give you an idea as to what that is, and this is, part, this is our mystery revealed. Paul, an apostle of Jesus and a Jew, explains it this way to the letter to the Romans, Roman believers who were non-Jews. These people were Gentile people. Romans 16, verses 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to establish you, in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation, listen, of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles 
might come to the obedience that comes through faith. In another letter, the letter to the church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, not a Jewish neighborhood, okay? The, Paul writes this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4 to 6. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery, you should underline that, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Nobody's falling down in just, wow, in that. So let me read it again, because this is big. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, you and me, are heirs together with Israel, We were not entitled to any of this before, but now, as members together of one body, we are sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That's better. Friends, when we read these parables and we read ourselves into the meaning of the text, we do so because we have been a part of this mystery for so long, it's not a mystery to us anymore. And we've forgotten maybe how grand... (laughs) A discovery this is. We just assume ourselves into the covenant promises of the Jewish people of God because Jesus Christ, the Messiah and Savior of the world, is now our Messiah and Savior. And so we should, right? These are our promises too. We are co-heirs with Christ. But how did we get there? Well, to assume that Jesus is talking about us means that one of the first Jewish disciples of Jesus, sitting around, maybe around a campfire that night or wherever they were, listening to Jesus talk about the hidden meaning of the parable of the sower, that disciple, that Jewish disciple, had to have taken his believing loyalty to Jesus seriously enough that he shared the word of the gospel of the kingdom of God with someone else. And he did not restrict that sharing to fellow Jews. He also shared the gospel of the kingdom of God with some Gentiles, like us. He let the mystery of the ages out of the bag. And then, those who accepted Jesus as their king must have shared that gospel of the kingdom with someone else they knew. Generations later, so on and so on and so on, Generations later, centuries later, 2,000 years later, someone loyal to King Jesus shared the gospel of the kingdom of God with you and with me. And quite likely, that person was a Gentile believer who understood his part in the mystery of God of the ages. Mark chapter 4, verse 20, and now you have heard the word, accepted it. Now you have the same latent potential in you to produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. Friends, this is the mystery of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Since the ascension of Jesus, Jewish followers of Jesus from all over the known world at that time were in Jerusalem on a Jewish celebration called Pentecost, 
And it was there that they heard the gospel of the kingdom in their own language. Remember that moment with Peter's out there preaching and everyone heard their own language, in their own language, the gospel? Acts 2. And when they returned home after the celebration, after Pentecost, they returned home to their nations where they had been scattered to centuries before in the exiles after Solomon. Along the way, on their way back home, and once they got home, they would bring the gospel to other Jews and other Gentiles as they returned. Pentecost was the launching pad. It launched the, the reclaiming of the nations that were disinherited by God at Babel. Remember how God confused languages at Babel? Well, now at Pentecost, languages are restored. The gift is given to, the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to these people. And through different languages, those different languages become a highway for our God. And it included the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's why you and I are seated here today. And you online are seated where you are watching this today. Because someone there spread out and shared like a seed planted. Yes, the parables are a mystery to the crowds and to those with, but to those with believing loyalty to Jesus, those who have ears to hear, we get it, right? We get it. So as an ambassador for Jesus today, I challenge you as God's seed to embrace your potential to multiply the word of God with boldness, without fear, to get the gospel of King Jesus to the ends of the earth and, and for sure at least to your life network. Earlier we saw a tangible way how to do that by supporting the church in Poland as they help to receive refugees from Ukraine. The church is then in a perfect position to be able to share the hope that is in Jesus Christ. This is a tangible way for us to plant some seeds there and if you still want to give, you can do so online. You can do so in the church offering. We'll take one of those offering envelopes and just write Ukraine on the other part. Put it in there and we'll get it there. But we can also play a part in praying for unreached people groups throughout the world. There are tons of resources. Get the app, get the book called Operation World and start praying through the nations. Pray through your life network, your family, your friends, your work, your church, your world. Pray through them as an ambassador would pray for the gospel to get entry into those lives. Prayer walk. As soon as that ice gets licked up off the sidewalks, we're going to start our prayer walking again. And we hope that you will join us. Not two or three like usual. I'm talking masses amounts of us so that we can get out and prepare the soil in our surrounding neighborhoods. If you live in another one of the cities, go prayer walking throughout your city and start to pray the gospel into those areas. Not only that, but evangelism teams. We'd like to form some evangelism teams in the, in the spring that will go out and actually reach people with the gospel verbally to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. If you haven't been a part of one of our disciple-making uh, uh, makers training events, after Easter we're starting another one, and we hope that you will join us. I just finished at Bethany Bible College teaching another class, the discipleship training. And they're now prepared when they go home to their various places, just like Pentecost, to go out and to start making disciples and planting more churches. Friends, these parables should be a delight to us, not a mystery, because we hear them and we do them. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word.
Oh, God, help us to see our part in the harvest. Help us to take the warnings of Jesus seriously enough that it doesn't discourage us, but it, it excites us, it impassions us, and it emboldens us to get out, to doing everything we possibly can to get the gospel to the nations. Lord, as a people, as individuals, we may think we're insignificant like that mustard seed. But Lord, all we need is an open heart, a ready soil, and you will do wonders through us. And the multiplying effect will be ginormous. So have your will and way in us, we pray in Jesus' name.